right, and we will try this one. You glad to be in church? Yeah? Can you hear me okay? Okay, well, it's going to come. They'll give us some power here in a minute. Uh, let's stand and, and pray over the word. Is that all right? Let's do that. We'll just kind of shift gears a little bit and uh, dive into Hebrews chapter 6 again. Amen? Father, we're so grateful for the way you speak to us, the way you lead us, grateful for the coaching of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus, grateful that you have bought us, brought us into your family. We give you the praise for it today. We welcome Holy Spirit. We welcome you to teach, to guide, to open our understanding. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. amen. All right, last, uh, we're, we're on Hebrews 6 uh, again, and uh, uh, I'm deliberating a little bit over uh, verses 4 and following. And uh, so last week, last week, we went off on a direction, and I really felt like that was the Holy Spirit. And I hope that ministered to you because it ministered to me. Uh, so uh, it, was, it was good. Uh, but I'm going to deliberate over these same verses again because I want to bring a little bit more clarity. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's beneficial for us. So uh, I'm going to go back to uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. We're going to pick it up. I think we rode together last Sunday. Did we ride together, honey? Last Sunday, so you know we're on our way home after church, and and I was sharing some things that were in my notes that I didn't share, and she's like, "Well, you 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 need to say that, you need to tell us those things." I think that's important. Um, so that's part of what has provoked and prompted uh, some of what we're going to talk about today. Is that all right? Last week I told you that uh, the Lord's pursuit of you is unrelenting, and that. As long as you desire sonship and salvation and relationship, as long as you name Jesus as Savior, as long as you keep running to him or running back to him, he will keep receiving you. Uh, however, this Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 and following describes some dangers, and it's, it's dangers that are mentioned oftentimes in the New Testament. Uh, actually, 80 times this danger is mentioned in the New Testament. And this week, going through scriptures, I found a passage, 2 Peter chapter 2, that's almost identical, like the whole chapter, and it, the title that our translators have given it is False Prophets, Beware of False Prophets, but that's, you know, it does fit into the context of the chapter, but the chapter is very interesting and almost identical uh, to some of the emphasis here of Hebrews chapter 6, 4, and following. And, uh, and so I want to I look at some of the dangers concerning our salvation and some of the dangers described in the word. Uh, so let's pick this up. If you've got your Bibles, everybody okay? Let's pick this up at verse 4. And here it says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened... And have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. And then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God. And put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it. And brings forth vegetation useful to those whose sake it's also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Uh, by the way, every verse I will read today will be out of the New American Standard, so uh, if we have that on the screens, that's great. If you see something different, it'll probably be similar, uh, but we'll work together, and if you wonder where I'm reading, I'm reading out of the New American Standard today. Uh, so the one thing that I had shared with Joel uh, that I think is important uh, because we, even in our midst, uh, we have those that were formerly backsliders. 
uh, we have those, you know, what a backslider is. is somebody that uh, turned away from the Lord, right? Uh, so I, I dabbled in a bunch of sin. I'll admit that. Uh, but I got saved a thousand times. And, you know, for me, I never fully turned away from the Lord. But in our midst, even today, we might have some of those uh, who have turned away from the Lord at some period. And so one thing that's, that's, I think, somewhat important is that we catch some things that come out of this passage. Number one, that the word impossible to renew is only one of the renderings of this word that is used in the Greek. So it is not necessarily impossible, but six times that particular Greek word is translated impossible. Here, the translators could have chosen other words, and I think some of those other words that they could have chosen, for which or of which this Greek word is sometimes chosen to be used for, could be more relevant, they could be more clear, and they could also put the onus on us instead of the onus on God, because when the word impossible is used, it's almost like God will never receive you. But one thing we know is that as long as the Holy Spirit is actually convicting you, that God will receive you. Did you hear what I said? Some people wonder what is, uh, what is the unpardonable sin because the unpardonable sin is talked about in Scripture. The unpardonable sin is resisting the Holy Spirit's call unto death. If you continue on unto death, then you have committed the unpardonable sin because you've totally missed your opportunity up until death. But as long as the Holy Spirit, and this could be relief to any of you at any time, at any juncture, after any stupid thing that you've done, that if the Holy Spirit's convicting you, uh, that there's hope. Run back to what's called the mercy seat, right? Run back, run back to the altar. Anybody in the room need mercy? Ten of you, good. All right, so run. It's good to be in the midst of perfect people, I'm telling you what. It's, it's a joy. So, but run back to mercy, right? Get back to mercy. Here, here is a, a common, so this word in the Greek, adunatos, uh, that's the transliteration. Uh, this could have been translated unable, powerless, incapable. Now, I like that. Uh, if we choose one of those or if we see, oh, that word was also translated this, and the translators could have chosen the, any of those three instead of impossible. I like that because one of the things that it does as well, it puts the onus on you instead of on God. In other words, and I talked about it briefly last week, is, it, is that you don't really know what could happen if you turn away from God. You don't know what a mess you could turn into. You might become disabled or unable to turn back. You might become powerless to turn back or overpowered. You might become, what was the other word? Powerless, unable, incapable to turn back. And I think this is some of the inference as well that the Lord talks about. Uh, Peter talks about it in this second Peter chapter two, and I'll, I'll read a little portion of that to you. But I think the Lord talks about this as well in Matthew chapter 12. And, and so I've, you know, I've told you that, that our salvation is so, it's so precious. We should hang on to it, right? Uh, so the Lord, the Lord refers to something in Matthew chapter 12. You want to go over there with me? And this is about deliverance of what we all need and have been partakers of, whether you knew it or not. And uh, uh, I can tell just by looking at you, you need more. But... How's that for messing with you? Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. Now, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through arid or waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Why? Because unclean spirits like to hang out with us, right? We are their habitation. Um, and so then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes and finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. And by the way, this... Unoccupied doesn't necessarily mean uh, not born of the Spirit, by the way. Just, just mess with you a little bit there. Uh, it, because unclean spirits are attached to reasoning. They're attached to habit and reasoning and thinking. They're attached to, to the word of the demonic realm. 
So even as the word of the spirit realm carries the anointing and it carries the presence of God and it is the seed of God, the word of the demonic realm, it, it carries with it demonic power, demonic presence. So when they're swept out of a house, they're swept out of the soul, not swept out of the spirit, by the way, because this is where spirits dwell. Unclean spirits dwell either in your body or your soul. They don't dwell in your spirit. So... The unclean spirit goes, then it comes back, it finds the house unoccupied, swept, and put into order. In other words, a Christian who hasn't renewed his mind. A Christian who has not studied how to hang on to the freedom that he just got. See, somebody can get you freedom, it doesn't mean you can hang on to the freedom. And if you lapse back out of reaction, you know when the doctor hits you on the knee and you, you have a reflex movement, if you lapse back into what you used to do and just hiring the same temp workers that you used to hire, a little bit of anger, a little bit of pride, a little bit of deception. If you, just, if you just lapse back into what you used to do, then this would be uh, the spirit finding that your house is not filled with good things. And so then it goes and it takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. This is the way it'll be with this evil generation. Now, I bring you to that passage for two reasons. One is because it's a warning. One, because it's a warning. Secondly, though, because this is not necessarily what happens every time somebody backslides a little bit from deliverance or freedom. This is not what happens. So what Jesus says here is a possibility. It is not a guarantee. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is a possibility, not a guarantee. So, uh, uh, and I've been asked this question, you know, a uh, hundred times at least. You know, uh, you know I, I, I think I've got seven more spirits, you know, worse than what I had before. Or, uh, you know, questions related to that. And again, this is a possibility, not a guarantee. Much like, though... Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4 is a possibility, is that, is that you could get disabled. You don't know. If you say, I'll just come back later, I'll just get forgiveness when I'm in the mood, I'm just going to do this now, but, uh, and, and, and you deliberately continue to choose that path that is away from God, then here the writer of the Hebrews is telling us, Jesus is telling us, uh, we have to be careful about that. Is that all right? 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, talking about uh, false prophets. And, uh, and we might know from Simon the sorcerer out of Acts chapter 9 that who was uh, born of the Spirit, but then he had a bondage of iniquity and a gall of bitterness is what the King James says. I don't know what a gall is, but He, he had something going on that was controlling his life. It was bitterness and it was iniquity, but yet he got born again. And he, now he offers, uh, uh, he offers Simon and um, actually Peter and, Peter and John, they had gone to Samaria. He offers them money to buy the gifts of the Spirit, Right? And so what he had was a lust for power. He had a lust for power. And, and that's sometimes what we find with regard to this whole realm of false prophets or those who would be named as such. And this chapter tells us a bunch about that. But here I want to pick it up at verse 20. For if, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, a sow after washing returns to the wallowing in the mire. Now these are warnings. These are warnings. And we find Hebrews 6 also is giving us a warning and I think the onus is not on God. It's not God refusing us, but it is God saying and the Lord exhorting us that you don't know your future. You don't know if you could come back. 
You don't, you don't know what's going to happen with you, and you don't know how bad it could get if you deliberately or willfully turn from the Lord. So also, I think we have to look at these broad statements, these huge statements. Yes, they are warnings, and yes, they're, they're, they're true, and yes, they have life to them, uh, but sometimes they're also hidden within extremes. The Bible uh, hides truth within extremes to awaken us to be sober about what we have. And so Jesus said, you know, some extreme things, that, that if you don't hate your mother and father, that you can't follow him. He said some extreme things. He said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Well, yeah, but doesn't he bring peace? Well, yeah, he brings peace, but sometimes you're going to find yourself divided. We have to kind of ferret through the scripture and figure out what he's trying to say. He said, if you don't drink of my blood, you have no part of me. What was he saying about that? Well, we just, we just walked through some of that this morning, right? We were commemorating and partaking of this covenant that has been sealed with blood. So that's part of what's going on as well. But the question still remains, and I want to address this a little bit further as we go through this morning. Is, is Christianity safe for eternity, or can a person lose their salvation? And because we're a non-denominational group that have gathered together today, and we're centered around the word, and we aren't getting orders from headquarters, uh, I want to touch on some camps of faith or some camps of perspective. Um, number one, and, and I talk, touched on this lightly last week, there's the once saved, always saved camp. Have you heard of that camp? Anybody in the room? Uh, eternal security. Once, here's, what, here's, the, here's what the once saved, is this okay to talk about this stuff? Yeah. Is this all right? Here's what the once saved, always saved camp says. Once you come to the Lord, you can't lose your salvation. No matter what you do, you are saved. However, so that's, that's what they preach and teach, okay? And they've got some scriptures on that. However, there is a catch. The once saved, always saved, eternal security group, camp, does have a catch. Uh, the catch is whenever they observe a so-called Christian, a confessed Christian, lacking the fruit of the Spirit and walking in sin, they say he never got saved in the first place. So, is there any Christian in this building that has ever sinned? Is there... Would you be so bold, bold to say that you've actually even had repetitive sin in your life while being a Christian that you had to deal with? All right. That's good. A couple honest people in the building. All right. That's good. And so this camp comes along and actually would say that during that time you actually weren't saved. Or they would come along and maybe say that you're, actually you're not welcomed here. All right. It's kind of us four and more, no more. What we're looking for is perfect people here. We're, we're looking for perfect people. And, and really what you need to do is you need to go get saved again. Go get saved again. And this could be what, pro, you know, promoted my 1,000 salvations, actually. So. <laughs> then we have the hyper-grace camp. Okay, I'm just throwing some of these out at you. The hyper-grace camp. God loves you. And by the way, in every one of these camps, there is, there's nuggets of truth. There's nuggets of truth in every camp that I'm going to mention, so don't, like, freak out. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. As I go through these, there's nuggets of truth, and there are scriptural truth, and we embrace portions of some of this, okay? Is that all right? So the hyper-grace camp, God loves you, and it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter that you sin and falter. You are forgiven. There's nothing you can do to get God to love you more. God has not made the covenant with you anyway. He made the covenant with Jesus, so there's nothing you can do to harm the covenant. Okay? Have you heard that before? No? Really? All right, so, uh, yeah, I could tell you where to go to listen to that one, uh, but I won't. Uh, then there's the hyper-faith camp. Nobody would call themselves this, by the way. I'm just kind of making these up as we go, all right? You run into some believers out there, they're not going to say, yeah, I'm in the hyper-faith camp. This is kind of a Dwayneism. We're just kind of helping you understand things. This, this group does exist, but they don't call themselves hyper-faith camp, though they probably go camping. Hyper-faith camp. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Sounds pretty good so far, doesn't it? 
You don't sin. You don't need to repent of sin. To acknowledge sin or to repent is to acknowledge something contrary to your nature. So now there's actually uh, one of the most prominent uh, ministers on television today across the world is actually kind of espousing this. Uh, and uh, some of you might know who I mean when I say that. Okay. So, but you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Yes. But sometimes we blow it. Does anybody in the room blow it? All right. Should we admit it when we blow it? I hope so. Come on now. There's the sovereignty of God camp. And this one really would be, a good, you know, these really are camps, but again. So this would be more uh, the John Calvin camp. Nothing happens unless God allows it. You didn't save yourself. God saved you. You had nothing to do with it. If you are saved, it's because God elected you for salvation, and there's nothing you can do to harm it. If you falter, it's God's job to sanctify you and not your own. By the way, this is why you can actually, uh, this is why you can actually put up with your faltering. If you're in the God's sovereignty camp, if you're in the kind of the John Calvin sovereignty of God camp, then you can tolerate all sorts of stuff going on with you and even resist the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be telling you, I'm calling you higher, or let's leave that behind, or let's set that aside. And you're like, get thee behind me, Satan. When God's, ready for, <laughs> when God's ready for me to deal with it, I'll deal with it, right? Not even recognizing maybe this is the Holy Spirit leading you into uh, a more pure expression. Okay? Then there's the Balanced New Horizon Camp. All right, okay, I'm, I'm thinking of you. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of you when you go in and you're shopping equities and you're, you're, you know, you're looking on Vanguard and what, you know, what mutual fund do I want? High risk, low risk, how about the balanced fund? Okay, let's go with the balanced. The balanced New Horizon camp. You have been saved by grace through faith. You heard the word and you believed, but you must continue in faith. Sin is common to the new believer, but something we are destined to overcome, and as we mature, we shall. God promises to bring us into maturity as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Sin will diminish and lessen as we bring our soul into agreement with the Lord and with the Word of God. It's possible to be trapped, ensnared with a stronghold or a root of dysfunction and still be saved. This problem doesn't mean that you aren't saved. You can get free from such demonic influence. Having a sin problem does not harm your salvation. Hanging on to a sin problem harms your salvation. Deliverance is the key to freedom so that you can move into maturity. Okay, so that's the balanced new horizon approach. Is that all right? Yeah. That's what we want. Amen? So let's talk a little bit about um, some ways to lose your salvation. And uh, we'll dive into this passage a little bit more and... I didn't know that you need this in here, but we'll end on a really good note, a note that you do need, okay? So two ways to lose your salvation. One is to deny the Lord, to go back on the Lord. The scripture talks about this, and some of these would be fitting with this 80 passages that I told you. There's 80 passages that warn us about our faith and about cherishing our faith, hanging on to our faith, continuing in faith not letting go of our faith, denying the Lord, though, denying the Lord would be one of the ways to harm, to lose our salvation. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny him before my Father in heaven. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. 
I don't know, I, I don't know how many of us would maybe struggle with this. This was very, very contemporary in their day. And by the way, if you're in a persecution environment, or if persecution were to increase in our day or our time, if you're in that kind of a persecution environment, then that's what scriptures like this are written for. They're written to encourage you, don't deny me. Don't deny me in the face of pressure, in the face of persecution, in the face of loss, potential loss, in the face of peer pressure, in the face of, you know, the fear of man can be a snare, needing affirmation or needing advancement. Don't deny me, but rather, rather choose me, acknowledge me, right? Luke 9, 23, and he was saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a, what, for what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the glory of the holy angels." Now, when we think about this, too, I think there's gradations. I think there's um, levels of this. And so maybe you've kind of dealt with this on, on, on a level. Uh, and if we look at it from the positive side, I think acknowledging Father under pressure or in any situation, acknowledging uh, the Lord Jesus, acknowledging his salvation, uh, I, I think there's great power in that. Imagine that every time in every situation when you acknowledge the Lord as your help, your strength, your victory, your redemption, when you acknowledge the Lord, the Lord acknowledges you before the Father. And as he acknowledges you before the Father, then the Father is able to dispense upon you the things that belong to you in Jesus. The wisdom, the help, the strength, the grace, the insight, everything that you need then can be dispensed. And so... I look at scriptures like this and I say, not only do I not want to deny the Lord in some kind of a relational way, uh, some kind of an exercise of my sovereignty to turn away from him and say, I want nothing to do with the Lord. Uh, I don't want him in my life. I don't, want to, I don't want to step into this stuff in a partial way. I want to be fully uh, acknowledging the, the hand of the Lord in my life in every way, all of the time. 2 Timothy 2.11, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he, will all, he also will deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we deny him, he will deny us. This is, this is powerful stuff. And so this is one of the ways that, that we can begin to distance or separate ourselves, maybe even gradually, from the Lord is to deny the Lord, to deny his name, to deny his grace, to deny his salvation, to deny his place, to deny his leadership. Number two, though, the second way to separate ourselves from the Lord or put our salvation in danger is to willfully to sin against conviction and correction. And remember, sin is to violate the leading of the Lord. Sin is not so much moral failure, it's, but to, to sin, to sin is to say no to the Lord. The Lord's leading you. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. He's giving you guidance. He's giving you direction. He's giving you clarity. He's leading you to refuse that, to sin, to violate that, to go your own way, to decide to do your own thing. This is one of the ways that we become gradually separated from salvation because, because you are a sovereign being and so God has to defer to you. Essentially, God has to allow you to choose what you desire. God has to honor your choice. God has to honor your choice. Making Jesus the Lord of your life uh, is, is an act of faith. It's continuously an act of faith. Today it's an act of faith. And it's an act of reverence and it's an act of bowing your knee and bringing your heart to him and submitting. Because you can rise up when you leave this building today. You can rise up and take over the lordship of your life as you leave today. 
So making him the Lord of your life in faith and walking this walk of faith is a moment-by-moment thing. Yes? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. And here's Paul now bringing forward. Remember, we've got this whole body of material that he's written to the Hebrew Christians. Here he says something, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Now this is interesting. He's saying that this is what will happen to you. This is what will happen in your heart, is that even as you deliberately sin, if you deliberately walk away, you deliberately choose, you deliberately resist, you deliberately are saying no to the leading of the Spirit and no to what he has for you, be it morally and be it moment by moment as he's leading you, as you do that, then what will happen is you, you, will, you will get an expectation of, okay, I'm probably going to get in trouble over this. Anybody ever had that expectation? And if you continue in this pathway, that expectation will grow. Why? Because you are now knitting yourself to the demonic realm. And this is part of what Paul talks about in a real sober way that's fearful. And what Jesus talks about in Matthew 12 is that you have to realize that sin is not like, I'm just going to do my own thing for a little while. Sin is not something that is neutral and absent of spiritual influence. Sin is a partnership. You're either partnering with the Holy Spirit and living in righteousness, obedience, and following his voice, or you're choosing sin, and Christians don't sin accidentally anyway, by the way. I think most of our sins, I might say 90%, would be deliberate. And we're choosing those sins, and those sins, we have to understand, this is what he's trying to tell us, is that those sins are now knitting ourselves to the demonic realm. And what's the expectation of Satan? I know he doesn't like it, but he's read the back of the book. Uh, And there's going to be fiery judgment, and he's going to be thrown into a pit for a long time. And so, so that same conviction will come upon us if we willfully and deliberately sin, there's going to come a conviction on us that this is not good, this is, going to, this is going to end in a bad way, and so if we're smart, any smart people in the room, if we're smart, we won't continue to deliberately sin, we will run back to the mercy seat, we'll run back to where we can get covered. Anybody that smart in the building? John 15 talks about this. I am the vine. I am the true vine. John 15, 1. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Now, why would he give all these warnings and all these directions? Why would there be all this stuff in the Bible if, if we don't really have to worry about this stuff? I, there's no issue here. It's, it's in here because it's possible to not abide. It's possible to not abide. And so he exhorts us, abide in me. Find your life in me. Knit yourself to me. Become one with me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned." We don't want that. Does anybody want that? I'm trying to show you a little bit of the danger. Is this okay? Romans chapter 11, verse 20 talks about Israel being cut off, but not cut off fully. And now the Gentiles being grafted in, but they were grafted in to the root of Israel. And so we're grafted in. And so Paul's talking to us in Romans chapter 11. 
and he's exhorting us to not be conceited about that, to not be prideful about that. You that have been grafted in, don't be prideful. It's the Lord's work. It's the Lord's grace. The Lord has knit you. He's, he's brought you in. He's grafted you in. And I want to pick it up at verse 20 of chapter 11. Quite right. They were broken off. Oh, you are in a different translation. Bless your darling heart. Quite right. They were broken off for our unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold, then the kindness and the severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. So this is, I mean, this is hard stuff, right? But it it should bring a sobriety to us, a, a soberness to our salvation that that we that we find ourselves cultivating our walk, keeping our walk alive, not letting sin grow, not letting unbelief or distrust or, or the working of the enemy or some snare, not letting it uh, have its way in our lives. Is that all right? That's your typical happy sermon. Uh, Revelation 3.2. Revelation 3.2, let's go there. This one's really powerful because somebody said, well, yeah, but my name's been written in the Lamb's book of life. I mean, God wouldn't come along and blot my name out of the book, would he? Revelation 3.2. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain. Sound like a good preacher right there. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know at what hour I'll come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What? You mean Jesus has an eraser? Wake up and overcome. Wake up and return. Wake up and repent. Wake up and cherish your salvation. Cherish your salvation. Protect your salvation. Don't let yourself dabble in a little bit of this and dabble in that and, and deliberately get into this and get caught over here into this. And it could be fear and it could be worry and it could be unbelief and it could be, guys, a little bit of pornography. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Stop. Stop. No more. Jesus has an eraser. Most of us didn't know he had one of those. We just thought that he wrote his, our name in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life. But if we don't wake up, if we don't overcome, we're destined to overcome. But if we don't overcome, there's an eraser handy. Because he has to honor our choice to follow after something that's stupid, something that's wrong, something that's inappropriate. He has to, he has to yield to that. He's a gentleman. We don't serve the demonic realm. That's the enslaving realm of fear. That's the enslaving realm of dominion. But the realm of Jesus is a realm of gentleness, a realm wherein he's a gentleman, a realm wherein we come and we yield to him and we make him the Lord of our lives and we cherish this walk that we have with him. And so we keep this other stuff out even if, even if, it, even if it brings pleasure. Remember what he said in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, and so Moses chose. He chose the riches of Christ above the pleasures of Egypt. He made this choice. He chose, he decided, he saw, he saw salvation. He saw the Messiah. He saw the Yeshua. And he decides that he's going to choose. And we have to make that choice. There's stuff that we could choose that... that that it seems convenient, it seems pleasurable, it seems handy, it seems like, 
it, it, it seems natural, it, it seems easier, but it's not the thing that we should choose. It's not the thing that we should choose. So we're safe in our salvation, church, as long as we continue to believe. As long as we continue to follow. Listen to 1 John, 1 John 1, 6. I want to read this, and, and, and I, I want to say that there's, there's hope for the backslider, but don't leave this building and backslide. Didn't Paul say that in Romans 6? I mean, he's going on about the grace that, of salvation, and he says, but it's not a grace so that we would use this as an occasion to sin. Don't let, don't let this precious salvation that we have received activate some kind of wrong thinking within you that you think that we can continue to sin. 1 John 1, 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now he's telling us, he's telling us that we can run back to him. And, and, and if the Holy Spirit is moving upon you, uh, uh, you can run back to him. And again, it's not, it's not just some kind of moral thing you've done, breaking any one of the Ten Commandments. It's, it's not just moral failure. Jesus goes deeper, and he says, don't even wish that you could break one of those commandments. But then the New Testament goes much deeper. Romans 14, 23 is probably the prime scripture. For whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Wherever we're hearing the voice of the Lord and we refuse to follow it, that to us is sin. And God's calling us into a life where we have obedience and obedience is making him Lord and we're putting aside everything that competes, everything that contends with that realm. Let's stand this morning. I'm going to ask the band to come and help me close. This all right? Sang a great song today. The enemy can't take what I have. I belong to you. The enemy can't steal your salvation, but you can give it away. You can give it away little by little. You can give it away a lot by a lot. You can give it away. You can give away the relationship you have, just not by paying attention to him. See, this is not a legislated salvation. This is a relational salvation. God has sent Jesus that he might draw you in to a heavenly love, a heavenly relationship. And the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you is the one who testifies of that love and of that relationship and Father longs for communion with you just as he did with first man, with Adam. He longs to come to you moment by moment. He longs to come to you day by day and have fellowship with you and, and you to have a bright face, not to be coming out of shame, not to be wound up in something over here and hiding, not to be feeling naked and uncovered because you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. Father wants to come to you and see an open face and have relationship, unfettered, unhindered relationship. Let's bow our heads this morning, close our eyes. I want to talk to you about your soul. Again this morning, I want to, I want to refer over to, to Galatians 6 verse 1. It's possible for us as believers to have a snare or to be caught in a snare. A snare is a trap that maybe initially you didn't know it was there. You headed down a pathway and you headed down this pathway and as you were headed down a pathway, 
that wasn't God's pathway for you, you stepped into a trap. That's the picture of a snare in Galatians 6. And, and this happens to believers. This happens to believers. Sometimes we bring snares into our walk. Sometimes we have leftover snares that we haven't totally overcome that were a part of our lives before we're, we came to the Lord. And so this snare is hanging on to us. Maybe it's a snare that got you before you came to the Lord and you're still dragging it. And it's got kind of a chain <laughs> where it was attached to a tree back there, right? Maybe it was meant to catch somebody else. I can tell you it sure was. But because you went down that wrong path, it's caught you. And the Holy Spirit wants to set you free. And it comes with repentance. And it comes with issuing a divorce to the enemy. And it comes with dismissing the power that's attached to that thing and saying, no more will I allow this in my life. No more, no more, no more. And as we process this this morning, we're going to close in worship. I don't want the prayer team to come because I don't want anybody to be put on the spot kind of feeling like they're getting prayed for. I want you to embrace a fresh place in God by you coming this morning. If there's just any little thing and you repent of it and you renounce it and you issue a dismissal prayer, and just say, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. This has to go. I want it out of my life. Come on, I'm open the front right now. Just begin to come. Anything in your life, not moral failure, but just something that the Holy Spirit's led you to do. Maybe deliberately you said no. Maybe time and time you said no. Maybe it's something you've caught yourself doing just frequently or it's happened to you and and you find now that though you thought it was a safe path, you saw, thought it was a, a, a safe way to go, now there's like a trap on your leg and it's slowing you down. You're dragging it along. We're going to be done with it this morning. We're going to say no to it this morning. We're going to say no to it this morning. We're going to say no to it this morning. Come on, let's respond. Let's respond to the Lord. Just come, just come. No prayer team, just you. No prayer team, just you. Just come meet with God. Repent of it. Issue a divorce to it. Dismiss the power attached to it. Say no more. No more will I let this be a part of my life.
Change who I am.